Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Welcome back to another one here at the Born and Raised Audio Experience. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with a longtime friend. Um, one, it's been a mentor. Um, someone I've actually looked up to since I was a kid and South Cox, if you haven't heard of him, uh, he's the owner of Stalker Stick Bows, great human being, phenomenal hunter. Uh, I've had the chance to share the mountain with him, chasing mule deer before and watching him in his environment. I was just awestruck and how he broke apart the terrain, dissected it, figured out those deer and with a stick bow slipped in and killed a buck inside 15 yards. Um, so we kind of talk through all that. We talk about mule deer versus elk. And if the draw gods are with us next year, we'll actually get an opportunity to go chase some elk together and hopefully repay the favor and get him a bull called in and killed. But, um, this was a fun one. We, uh, we kind of talked through it all, but if you have any interest in starting trad gear, it's a great one, kind of south goes through the ins and outs and how to get going. So hope you guys enjoy. Just this summer, it feels like it's almost over and it doesn't even feel like it started. I mean, it feels like 4th of July was last weekend and then I'm like, holy crap, we start hunting. And well, actually as of 29 days, yeah. Jeez Louise. hi yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's coming fast and furious. <laughs> yeah. What do you got yeah. on the docket this year? Um, so I am kicking off my outdoor stuff with a fishing trip in Utah. Um, I uh, always, like grayling, have always been on my bucket list since I was in high school. Uh-huh. I always kind of thought of it like a freshwater tarpon mm-hmm. <laughs> or not a tarpon sailfish there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I didn't know I've been to Alaska half a dozen times now and I wasn't until geez, like a, a couple of years ago that I found out that there are grayling in the lower 48. I, um, I was going to say like the only place I know about it is Alaska for them. Yeah. So I didn't, so it turns out that they've been uh, stalked in Wyoming and Utah. And so I've got a friend that turned me on to, um, he goes to church with the guy who is in charge of all the lakes in Utah. And uh, as far as like stalking them and monitoring the fish and all that. So he's got me set up with a place to go. Um, and it's kind of a neat story, actually. So probably 15 years ago, I took my stepsons, um, and you know, my wife and a bunch of their buddies into the marble mountain wilderness area in Northern California on a backpacking slash fishing trip. And for most of them had been their first time, you know, for like an experience in the outdoors. And, uh, as far as like a backpacking trip and, uh, I can't remember how many, we did like three nights and four days, something like that. And backpacked in like six or seven miles to a kind of remote lake up there. And, uh, you all went fishing and caught fish and just had a blast. Well, um, 
I uh, was pitching it to my wife about, you know, doing this trip for grayling. And she's like, we should, you know, kind of um, redo that trip from 15 oh, years ago. Yeah. Okay. So got a big old group text going and everybody except for one person and uh, is going to be able to make it. And that guy is, uh, he, you know, went to college to be a doctor and uh, is just starting his residency that oh, week. Wow. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. That's so it's pretty really cool, cool though. So it's going to be really fun. We've got a guy coming along to film it and, uh, you know, kind of along that storyline of, you know, having them, having had them, you know, introduced to the outdoors by this fishing trip 15 years ago and, and now going back and, and, uh, you know, doing it again, but 15 years later, you know, basically half their life later and kind of, you know, a backstory, a little bit of a backstory on what each one of them is doing and, and, uh, as far as in their adult life now. So I think it'd be pretty fun. That's awesome. Man, yeah. it's been too long South. Like we used to do this on the, seem like the weekly and now, yeah, yeah. you know, life is, uh, I, I still was thinking about the very first podcast I ever recorded was with Dwight Shue with you. Oh, is that right? Yeah. All I right. Think so dang. Yeah. That's, uh, that was many moons. I'm so glad we got that one considering that Dwight passed away. And, and, uh, uh there's another guy that I did a podcast with, um, uh, a Boyer and the guy was a school teacher. And so I wanted to do, like, I get questions, you know, from guys that are calling up and wanting to know about, Hey, I want to build my own bow. And, you know, I, and they'd be like, you know, I'm not going to compete with you and all this, but, you know, I really want to do it. And, and, uh, so I figured it'd be a great, um, you know, a great introduction or answer a bunch of questions. And this guy being a teacher, I figured would, you know, have a, would be able to reach, you know, be able to reach people in the way a teacher does, you know, I see you right. Right. Yep. And, uh, so I recorded this and I, you know, the guy's just a super nice guy. And I'd met him at a, like one of the first bow shows that I intended as a, um, as a vendor. And so I, I called him up and he's like, Oh yeah, man, I'll, I, that'd be great. So we got on the call and then like a year or year and a half later, he died of a heart attack Oh no! and a uh, really young dude too. I mean, he was, uh, I think he was in his fifties if I remember correctly. And uh, so I, uh, yeah, I'm really happy that I got, you know, got that um, recording done because it's, you know, just be able to capture something that somebody can listen to, you know, 10 years from now or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I so hopefully I don't tip over here in a, in a few weeks. Huh? No, no, <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Uh, man, I, uh, uh, I just, I'm looking forward to finally being able to hunt with you again. Sounds like Dude. this year's the year. Yeah. It's like, been like, too many years since I was trying to think when, when we hunt a mule deer, was that 2016? I'm pretty sure when we hunted sounds about right yeah i think so i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it was 16 yeah um, yeah which is it seems like it was yesterday but shoot seven six seven can you believe ago. this is the first year since um i started putting in in probably 1997 that i didn't put in for nevada oh. for yeah it's oh. gotten that bad up uh, there. so that was by choice is what you're saying yeah by, mm -hmm. yeah Yep. Yeah. Last year I went up. So the year before last, I went up there and, you know, just kind of overrun with people and I, uh, you know, 
20 trucks at the trailhead and got guys everywhere and boot tracks everywhere and all that. And so I was a little disheartening. So I figured, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in on the like five days into the season. Cause what I, what I'd see is that a lot mm-hmm. of guys, you know, by the fifth or sixth day, fourth, fifth, sixth day, a lot of the people would be discouraged and bail out. So I decided, well, I'll just go in, you know, a little later. And then last year, it just, it just sucked last year for one, there was all those fires in California that were blowing smoke into the range I was hunting. And, and, uh, so it was hard to see it was hotter than heck and there's a drought. So actually a lot of the deer just didn't come up the mountain. And, oh, uh, gotcha. so yeah, they were, a lot of them were hanging down, you know, in the fields. I talked yeah, to one, stuff. yeah, yeah. I talked to one lady who said that she, uh, she had talked to a rancher down there and they were seeing three, 400 deer in their fields in the evenings. Really? So yeah, just pretty crazy at the base of the mountain there. So this, just this year, you know, I, I had some employee turnover this year, a couple guys moved out of state and it was pretty crippling from a production standpoint. I just decided between, you know, that, and then what I wasn't seeing last year, I just figured it'd be smarter just to pull the plug and I'll maybe wait for it to cool down. It seems like it goes through some cycles up there as far as pressure. And, uh, we definitely seem to be peaking <laughs> right uh, now. So, right. Gotcha. Yeah. Hopefully it'll let down, but I mean, there was, I don't know how many tags they issued this year, but there was, uh, I want to say there was more than, th- I know there was more than 300, but I think there was more than 350 leftover tags uh, leftover. So that was after the main draw and after the resident draw, it was like, I don't know if they just dramatically increased the the tag numbers, but if that's the case, it's completely unjustified from a, you know, a deer herd health standpoint. That's an interesting, that's an interesting topic because I feel like Nevada of all the states probably does for trophy quality in general, I would say is one of the top tier Mm-hmm. Uh, states and not it's not like oregon's an opportunity-based state where yeah um, although they made some changes this year even for for elk for drawing them there's a bunch of units now this year that you had to draw for east side and then you can't previously you could hunt pretty much the entire state other than like five units and now um it's a pick your unit deal except for western oregon is is a free-for-all um over-the-counter general you can hunt mm-hmm. a bunch of different units um, but yeah, it's, it's times have changed and I don't know, like if these changes are going to be good for the animal quality and numbers, I can get behind it. If it's, if it doesn't improve because the main issue is predator, uh-huh. is that the right thing? I don't know. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. It's, it's time will tell, I guess, but, um, it's, these dang YouTubers telling people to go out and get a tag and go hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I've caught plenty of flack over the years and, 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 you know, it's justified. I'm sure that, you know, if I had never would have published an article in Eastman's or never would have put out a video that, you know, that spot that I hunt now would probably have, you know, a 10th of the hunting pressure that it does, you know, now. And I probably could have gotten a tag, you know, even more easily, um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's, I feel like, um, you know, while you're, 
you're kind of um, defecating on your own doorstep to a certain right. extent. You're, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like um, in order to have a healthy, uh, you know, robust amount of hunters, as far in this is looking at it from like a legislative standpoint, correct? In the future of hunting, um, I think it's really important to you know the job that we're doing. And, and I, and I hope I can say this without sounding like, uh, you know, I'm trying to justify what I'm doing, but, um, I think that there's a role for that and an importance in that. Cause if you, you know, I mean, if you look at like, say traditional archery, there's a small, fa- fortunately shrinking faction of what I call the trad Nazis, where yeah. it's like, you know, if you have a, if you have wheels on your bow, it's not a bow and, and, uh, you know, they poo poo all the technology and all that. Um, I feel like if, um, they had their way, it would only be traditional bow hunting, you know, which would be awesome. There'd be hardly anybody out there in the woods. But then if you look at like what, um, the number of people that would continue to hunt, if a stick bow is the only option, man, we'd get pounded at the poles, you know, um, and we would lose our, our strength as, um, as hunters. I mean, already we're, you know, a, a small fraction of the overall population of the United States. And, and, uh, and that would just be a small fraction of what we are currently. And then we just get just trounced and there wouldn't be those kinds of people that, you know, you'd need to gather at the Capitol and talk to the senators and, you know, and lobby, you know, yeah, no, it's, uh, I feel very passionate about trying to inspire people. I mean, that, I, for us, like part of the legacy side of it, um, because overall, exactly what you're saying, you know, on the long lines, when there's issues that come up, people can write emails, they can contact mm-hmm. their centers, they, they, there's opportunities. And even more so now, um, nowadays in age of like, just finding out about issues, you know, 10 years ago, there was stuff that was getting pushed through that no one knew about. And now there's, you know, how.org, there's one of those organizations that's plugged into a lot of this stuff that they're getting the message out there. Um, saying, Mm -hmm. did you see like Wyoming? I know they put out, they had a committee, the governor asked the committee to, um, basically put out this survey and ask for feedback and, the power of social media, like I put it out there and I don't know how many thousands of links got clicked because like, Hey, voice your concern. And it was kind of shutting the door down on non-resident opportunity and more for the outfitting. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm anti-outfitting, but I also don't want it to turn into. They've already got a stranglehold on Wyoming. (laughs) Yeah. Don't give me the wilderness thing. Yeah. Uh, although, Hey, we've got, we've got an in, um, you, oh, know, right? you met JD Ponciano, you met JD. I know the name. Yeah. So he just moved to Wyoming and he's like, you and South next year, if you need, need a resident, I'm here. So anyway, yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, an access issue there in that state in particular, that's frustrating because you can go film, you can go fish, you could take pictures right. you can backpack but you can't carry a weapon and hunt animals mm-hmm. yeah it's so, crazy but um yeah no so um just for the listeners a little background on yourself so i met you the very first time i still remember i was shaking like a dog trying to pass a pass a peach seed i was so nervous because i had followed your articles as a kid i mean i think i was in that 10 12 years old when i first read your 
article about California blacktail hunting. I remember you wearing, you shooting a Matthews at the time. You had kind of like not a cowboy hat, but you, I remember vividly. Like had fedora, a right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a brimmed hat, uh, mm-hmm. and you were hunting uh, California blacktails, and then got to meet South Cox at the Endicotts up at the Bow Rack. I think that was. I remember that. It was in 2011, I think, is the first time I met you, because or 10, somewhere in there, because um, I, I, you would, you'd gone through and you were talking um, about California blacktail, and I remember a specific picture that you had in your presentation, and I'm like, I have that same exact picture, and I think we were standing on the same exact rock, years apart, uh-huh. looking at the same country. It was, it was really cool to to read all your articles and meet you in person and you're as great as a human as I've ever met anywhere. And, uh, it was cool to see that, you know, here's one of my idols as a kid that I eventually got to go on a hunt with and, and collaborate on podcasts and all sorts of content. And it's been a blessing to know you. And like I said, long time that we haven't got to talk. And so, I don't yeah, know, yeah, I no, I definitely miss those days. I mean, it was funny. I think you guys had just put out your first DVD, right? right yeah. That was, that. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. think so. It might have been even before that because I think our first DVD we came out in 2009. So maybe that was the first time, anyways. So yeah, right in there. We were, yeah, yep. We had a little six foot table. We were pedaling DVDs on, hunting Roosevelt's with our bow. And yeah, um, and that was about the time you really kind of jumped into the whole bow year world, isn't it? Yeah, yep. I had just, uh, I so I bought Stalker in 2007. And I went full time, you know, out of construction and full time into building bows. I think it was the end of 2012 okay. um, that I did that. So yeah, it would have been right around that time frame as I was really ramping that up. So uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, and it's been been really fun watching your guys's journey and you, you know the growth of born and raised outdoors. And um, I remember, you know, that watching that first DVD and how well you guys had done it from a production standpoint. And, and uh, you know, the early days are so many people that, you know, when you're looking at um, the early days of VHS, you know, prior to um, DVD and just like what we had to put up with from, and then it was just all about whack them and stack them and, and, uh, you know, 15 kills and all this, and yep. there's no story behind it. It was all just fist pumping and high fives. And, uh, it was, I'm so glad to see, you know, the growth of in, in the changes in the industry and like going to the full draw film tour and seeing everybody that's, you know, all these independent filmmakers and what they're doing. It's really inspiring to see the direction you know, and the change that, um, the industry is, is taking. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely, I know that was our, when we first had our first DVD tagged out when we killed four bulls, but it was literally the very end of the season, the last four days of hunting, um, that we had. So I remember at the Portland sportsman show, the first time we were trying to offer this to the public and people come up, it's like, well, how many kills are on it? You're like, well, uh-huh. four. Yeah. And they're like, uh, kind of weak like, well, pass yeah yeah exactly you know, <laughs> that like, sucks geez what yeah. are you gonna do for well i have to watch it for an hour what's gonna go on between those you know yeah. guys, uh, like stump shooting or <laughs> yeah no yeah. uh it, it was cool to finally see the the people appreciated and i i remember too like you never saw a pack out you never saw mm-hmm. you literally saw the hunt unfold from the 
drawing back the bow to shooting it and walking up in the stage interview. And that was it. Yeah. And so being able to bring the full hunting aspect of what we think is hunting to video and have it, people like enjoy it was so rewarding. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, it's been interesting. Um, I've managed to do consistently pretty well with my stick bow with a video camera behind me. And, and, uh, so I've been pretty blessed, but the, uh, you know, there's been obviously a few years that you don't fill tags and, and a couple of those times I had, um, you know, some fairly good camera guys with me and we did, you know, I feel like a, a good job documenting, the uh the hunt and stuff and it's like great you know now now what am i going to do i got all this footage and nothing to do with it and and uh the guys that had filmed it were like ah let me you know let me put something together and and i didn't have very high hopes and really those have been some of my even you know best received um videos where i don't you know don't have anything down at the end with a tag notched and um and I think a lot of it is just because so many people can relate to, you know, right. that experience. Cause it's, when you look at, you know, the percentage of success for, you know, archery um, it's, you know, definitely sub 20%, most of the, you know, across most of the country. And so you go out, say one, every five years, you fill your tag. That's not all that frequently. And yeah. so it's a lot of people that, uh, you know, that, that go out and, and experience that, you know, 80% right. of the time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, it's really, um, it, it's, it's really neat to see that, you know, and that goes to, to show how the, the story is the important part. It's not, um, necessarily how many inches of, of antler you have laying on the ground. It's the story. Yeah. And and documenting that and telling that. And, and uh, I've really enjoyed that, you know, coming from a writing background and then moving into video, I was, you know, a little out of my element in the beginning, but I feel like I've, I've uh, picked it up. Okay. Along the way. Well, you kind of switching gears on success, uh, kind of one of those questions, one of my observations, I learned so much when I went mule deer hunting with you in your element, like, being on the mountain and how you, how you attack things and had the confidence of like, Oh, we'll turn that buck up again. Let's drop the 2000 feet to the last point of sighting. Um, where, what got you to that point? Like, where do you, what are those aha moments along the way that gave you the confidence when you're going in there, um, to find a buck and like, Oh no, I know I can go kill him here or I'm going to wait and wait for him to reposition like where, like talk me through some of that. Sure. How you approach things. So I, I think it's important to, to go back and like, look at the contrast of, um, the first, my first, um, overnight trip that, you know, backpack trip that I tried doing when I, I was, think I was 17. I was by myself. I was up in the Mendocino national forest, um, hunting blacktails and, um, it's, it's a really high pressure area. Even back then that was, would have been 1986. And, uh, the, you know, it's middle of August, hotter than Hades. Um, I didn't really know all that much about deer habits or, or, uh, you know, what to do. I mean, I think I, even at that point probably carried my binoculars in my backpack and would have to, you know, 
get out or get them out and, and, uh, and then, you know, look through them then put them back in my backpack and then hike along. And so this is long before the days of bino harnesses. And I think, you know, cutting edge was a few years later when Larry Jones had a rubber piece of surgical tubing that went around his back that, it, you know, kept his binoculars from flopping forward into his bowstring. Yeah. So this was, you know, dating myself there a long time ago. And so I loaded up my backpack one afternoon and, and I was way up on the ridge um, and the river, was, there was a river way down below me and some nice big meadows. And I thought, well, man, uh, you know, a good buck will come out or a buck will come out in those meadows in the evening. Right. So I dove off the road and went way like halfway down to the river and, uh, and was trying to glass around and trying to find a buck down there and, and, uh, covering a bunch of ground and pretty soon I'm starting to get kind of discouraged and I'm not seeing anything. And it was, uh, one of those things where, um, you kind of, I didn't have the confidence of experience, from um from uh having had success or even success in locating animals and uh it didn't take me too long to talk myself out of it and uh call it quits type yeah talk yeah like maybe i maybe this is the wrong area even though it was you know probably hour or so or more before dark then uh i before i knew it i was hoofing it back up to my truck and uh so from that kind of experience to where I'm at now, where, um, you know, I get out there and I'm doing a 10 or 12 day, um, you know, backpacking trip and, um, and trying to get in or getting into animals and having the confidence to, um, you know, not only to, to find them or to when I'm not finding them to keep after it, or when I'm blowing animals out and, and, uh, you know, missing shots or, or just having, you know, wind swirl or whatever, you know, all those variables that can happen that lead to, um, to a non-successful opportunity, then, um, you know, to, to persevere and to be still pushing hard, you know, nine or 10 days into a, a hunt there. Um, it, it's a, an accumulation of experiences of small successes that will give you the confidence you know, to, to keep going after it. And, and, uh, and then during those times, it's learning and building upon those experiences, knowing, you know, starting to learn animal habits and where is a likely spot to find them. And once they're pressured by other hunters, you know, where are those animals going to go when they, you know, as a response to that hunting pressure. And I uh, saw, so, you know, in short, I think it's decades, um, you know, of, of experience of, of hunting and just having that confidence that, um, you know, at any minute that can change, you know, I mean, I remember on that hunt that with you and I, when I, I don't know, was, can't remember what day it was, you glassed up that buck way out on the end of that ridge, yep. um, that, that big one. And, we had, that was the biggest buck of the trip that we had seen. And it was, you know, in a spot that we don't normally, I don't normally see deer. Normally I'm seeing them in the basins and right, this was yeah. way up on the rim of the basin, you know, on that finger ridge that separated two different basins. And so unusual spot for them to be. And, uh, um, 
you know, I, I think um, it's a long roundabout way of answering your your question there. But, um, you know, watching them, having watched Bucks for um, years and years and and kind of getting, you know, and there'll be the odd one that'll just do something completely uncharacteristic and I uh, and not follow the script. But by and large, you know, a deer doesn't just pick up and line out and move hundreds and hundreds of yards um, without a reason. Um, You know, they're not wanting to burn more calories than they need or expose themselves to more danger than they need. So, you know, generally speaking, they're not going to move great distances from their feeding area to their bedding area if they can avoid it. You know, if there's a good spot to bed um, near where they're feeding, more than likely they're going to they're going to do that. And they may get up um, at some point there and and uh and move to a, a you know a shadier bed or a cooler where maybe they've got a better breeze or something like that but um generally speaking it's you know once like that buck that you stalked there he was um bedded in the in a little grove of trees and he didn't need to get up to move really um he eventually did stand up to move but he had a good spot to bed where the shade he was going to have shade virtually all day. And I think he just finally got up to stretch and to feed a little bit. Yeah. Two things that I picked up on that hunt is day one is like, pick the easy fruit first. Yeah. So where I would say most people go into a hunt, that excitement level is Jack level 10. They're going to hike harder, faster, like just go at it as hard as they can on day one. And you're like, let's, we've we've got this little radius like let's just hunt close as close as we can oh, yeah. kind of like same deals like conserve and then as the hunt goes on you know day 10 is probably the most intense day mm-hmm. for you you know where i think that's a, a opposite mentality of a lot of people's like on day 10 they're already tired beat up and they're already headed back to the truck at day eight because they beat themselves up where um you know i saw that intensity level rise each day and then the other side of it that buck that I went after, I assumed there's no shot. I'm never going to get close to this deer because I don't know where he's at. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, so many variables there. It's going to take quite a while. And, you know, like, go after it. Like, okay. And we did. We got close. I got a shot and and missed. And, you know, but in my mind, I had already was low on the confidence scale. Uh-huh. And the same goes for the other deer that we went after um, after you killed your buck that was like, it fed up over that lip and was gone. And it, I don't know, 1500 foot elevation dropped down to where it was. Yeah. And you're like, well, let's go turn him up. I'm like, really? You think you're like, yeah, no problem. Drop down there. And it was like 10 minutes later, you're like, I got him. Got his, got the tips of his antlers right there, bedded down. I'm like, no way. I, you know, I just, it blew my mind, um, you know, with the basis of my, little little bit of deer experience um man it was some huge takeaways and then the other one the day that you shot your buck there um was watching you as soon as that buck bedded you knew he was in a good spot to get him killed and it's like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna go after that buck well zach and i had to climb up to the top of that rim to get a better angle on it and i gathered my stuff and hiked my way up there the 150 yards and Next thing you know, I'm like, where's South at? Zach's like, I don't know. We're glassing over on the rim thinking that he'd be about, you know, a quarter of the way down. And next thing you know, I'm like, he's like a hundred yards from the deer. And like you sprinted 
yeah, yeah. to that point, um, which is just opposite of everything I've ever been told about spot and stock mule deer, you know, give them the time they're going to get up and move again, you know, wait, wait till the thermals are, you know, I mean like all these right. things that you think you should do, you were super aggressive and got there and shot that boat, shot that buck inside 20 yards of your stick bow, like now. And it was, yeah, that was a, that was a pretty neat and I don't want to say completely unique ex, um, experience, but a somewhat unique one in that, um, you know, as you kind of described there, it was, um, you know, an opportunity that, so I'll kind of lay it out. Um, there was a, uh, there was a, a buck down. He was probably only a quarter way up from the bottom of the basin. And we were all the way at the top of the ridge and the sun was just coming up, um, over the, the far ridge there. So just starting to get some sunlight on these, um, this group of, I think there's four bucks down there if I yep. remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so the, you know, the thermals up where we were at were still pretty shifty. Um, but we also had a big Canyon right at our back. And, uh, so I figured that the wind was still getting influence from the Canyon right behind us. And my thought was that at the bottom of this Canyon, where there wasn't that, um, that influence from the, um, the thermals behind us, that I figured it would be more stable down there at the bottom of this canyon here, and the sunlight was just starting to hit it. So my hope was that as that sun started to warm that hillside there, those thermals would start gradually coming up, and uh, and that buck was bedded in a really good spot for a stock, and I knew, and he was bedded right out, you know, basically in the sun. I think there was like um, a dead snag above him that was casting a shadow that went over him, if I remember correctly, and I knew that that wouldn't last all that long. Um, so I figured, well, I better, you know, bomb down there because I probably have less than an hour um, before those deer you know, get up and move. Once that sun really starts warming up, they're not going to want to just lay there and get baked. Um, and that one buck, the biggest one that I wanted was, um, in the most open. And so I figured he would be the first one to move. So, I mean, I, I doubt it took me 10, 10 minutes maybe to get down to where I took my boots off. And I literally, like, as soon as I got off that treacherous part of the rock climbing right directly below me and got into where, you know, I could, take off without um, worrying about tripping and breaking my neck or something. Then I was literally running down that yeah. hill. Um, and that, that just, I mean, the importance of covering ground when, uh, and I had a, um, a little bit of a barrier uh, as I dropped lower then uh, those deer were kind of over a ledge. And so I could make some noise without them hearing me. And I, um, and I felt like, you know, no matter what the thermals were doing right where I was at, um, on my stock down the hill, which they literally blew from all four points of the compass as I was running down the hill, I figured that on that hillside where they were at with the sun hitting that hillside, I figured that the thermals were going to start, you know, it might be feeble, but they'd be starting to come up the hill. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh, I got down to within, I was probably less than a hundred yards, took my boots off. And I just had like the roll of that little hill there and they were right off that ledge. And I was able to get into, I don't know, I was 20 yards or less on that, yeah. on that buck. And it was a, a beautiful buck. Nice. I was, 
I was reliving that. I was going through old footage the other day and found that folder. I'm like, I got to watch this again. Yeah. I was showing Noah and Chase and like, this is the, the legend South in his element. And he all right. you know, watched you shoot the buck through spot and scope and all that. It was, it was pretty wild, but yeah, the coolest thing happened. I brought Larry Jones up there um, a few years after that. So maybe three years or three or four years after that. Um, and th- there was, uh, I can't remember, I'd have to look back, but three or four bucks bedded in the exact same spot. No kidding. Yep. And so I got, we weren't able to get down there quite as fast. Um, you know, me and Larry, I had already tagged out, but I got Larry down there and we were, we were got down to where I'd taken my boots off. No, almost to where I'd taken my boots off. We're probably 50 yards from there and a stinking doe, two does came walking down the top of that ridge and, um, and then picked us off because the wind was kind of blowing slightly quartering up Canyon there. And so they crossed our scent path and they stood there and blew and snorted and stared for probably half an hour. And then they finally, when they split, they ran right through where those bucks were bedded. And I, man, I was, I would have dug into Larry's pack and notched his tag for him on the way down that hill. I just knew it was going to come back together again. for Yeah. Us. That's, that's pretty wild. So I've been noticing, obviously, your full draw film tour submissions. You've been heavier more in the elk side of life in the last few seasons. Yeah. Tell me, me like, because I know you're a hardcore mule deer guy like that. uh That's your number one. Is elk growing on the list for you? Well, I'll tell you what elk do is they fill the freezer a lot faster than mule deer do. (laughs) (laughs) And as my kids grow, man, they've got some voracious appetites. And, and, uh, so the elk have definitely been, um, you know, fitting the, the bill there. And, you know, I think part of it on it, to be honest with you, well, I mean, for one, I, I love mule deer hunting spot and stock, um, you know, and, and, uh, that's definitely still, like my first love. Um, but it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this the other day that now that I live in Colorado, you know, I used to live in Northern California. And, uh, so, you know, if you're, you live in Northern California, pretty much anywhere you go out West, you're buying a non-resident tag and a non-resident elk tag is a hell of a lot more expensive than a non-resident deer tag. And that, you know, especially now in Colorado, geez, they're almost, they're pushing 700 bucks for an elk tag. Yeah. And, uh, when I first started hunting Colorado, I think, uh, I think a elk tag was 250 bucks and a deer tag was probably half of that. And I was definitely, you know, more focused on deer hunting, but, um, I, I, I bought a handful of elk tags just as like, you know, if the opportunity passed or presented itself, but After now you kill the, your deer, you're going exactly. to exactly. Yeah. 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 Or if I trip over an elk on the way to my, you know, to my buck or something like that, um, then, uh, then maybe I'd detour to shoot one. Um, but, uh, now, I mean, geez, an elk tag for me now is I think less than 50 bucks, you know? And, uh, so, I mean, not that cost is, um, a, a total barrier all the time, but I, I hunted, uh, when I moved here to Colorado, I had been putting in for elk points just kind of as, uh, almost, a um, a second thought there as I was, you know, mule deer hunting and buying my mule deer tags, um, for Colorado. So I had built up, I think a dozen points for elk. And, uh, so as a resident, 
you know, then I, I had a lot of points um, right. all of a sudden, you know, as a non-resident, it wasn't quite as, I wasn't quite as rich in points, but as a resident, all of a sudden I could do what I wanted almost. And, and uh, I had stumbled into a unit um, in probably like 2011 ish. Um, I, 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 I stumbled into a unit that was limited entry for elk and, and I, um, I had already filled my deer tag and I was just kind of driving around me and a buddy of mine. And, and, uh, we found this, uh, unit and, um, I always remembered it, you know, it was a cool, um, unit with a lot of wilderness to it. And, and, uh, if I, whenever I go, I love, you know, those wilderness hunts. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of car camping and hunting. Yeah. Um, I like to get off the beaten path, see fewer people and all that. So that was kind of an importance to me and more so than the, you know, how big the animal was. I wanted to have an experience where I wasn't dealing with people and, uh, and, you know, um, I had lots of opportunity and not necessarily giant bulls, but decent bulls. And that's what this unit provided. And, and, uh, so I managed to find a landowner, you know, since then that I've been able to get a voucher from. And so I've been able to hunt it a handful of times and not a handful, but, um, I think it's been four times now. And, and, I uh, just had a three times, um, is that right? One, two. I think it's three, man. Yeah. Can't, can't even remember. That's, it's hell I mean, getting old, dude. I do not recommend it. <laughs> yeah. In, in those three hunts, I think you've probably shot a total distance of 15 yards. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's probably right about right. Actually. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, I, um, I recently shared your, your video from, was that two seasons ago on the, um, that was a, um, three, might have been four seasons ago, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was the first time that I hunted that unit. Yeah. So if you haven't, I, I know you've got it on your social. We've got it on ours. You shoot a bull at feet. At yeah. Like five feet. Is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing about it, and this most impressive, is watch you're at full draw with a stick bow, 0% let off. Bull comes in, bugles at 10 yards. And then turns and is coming at you and have the patience all the way through to where he gets broadside. And then you shoot him at five feet. I mean, it is, it is hands down one of the most unbelievable elk wood experiences I've seen captured on film. Um, yeah, that was, it was pretty epic. I mean, the talk about just a lot of good fortune all falling into place to have the camera guy positioned in the right spot to, you know, to capture the whole thing with the hunter in the frame and, uh, you know, and the bull played the script perfectly bugled even on camera on the way in with me at full draw, you know, my knees knocking and the whole works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you Nerves know, I steal. Yeah. 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 I, I think, you know, something I know a lot of your audience, um, is compound shooters and for the guys that are interested you know, it entertaining picking up a stick bow at some point in time. I, I think this is a great opportunity to bring up something that I can, you know, it's like every time somebody calls me and wants to get a stick bow, um, I have the same conversation with them. And, and, uh, so I think this is a good opportunity to share it with a wider, you know, audience and of one, um, 
but I, I learned something on that hunt myself. And this is uh, something that I learned that um, I think is a, uh, a great opportunity to share and to be able to actually really show it on video um, is on that hunt, I was shooting a prototype bow, um, which was a little more efficient from a energy generating standpoint than the bow I've been shooting, you know, in years past. Okay. And I'd already, I'd already had a, um, a, a bunch of arrows all made up. Right. So, uh, I didn't want to go and, and, uh, have to get a different spine of arrow, you know, stiffer one to, um, accommodate, um, the draw weight that I wanted to shoot. So I was shooting, it was an ILF bow. And so I was able to adjust the draw weight on it. And I kept backing down the draw weight until my arrows flew well. So I ended up, I was shooting about 50 pounds. And before I was shooting about 55 and okay. for somebody that's shooting a compound and, and, uh, you know, a lot of the guys are shooting 70 to 80 pound draw weights in their compound to think about a stick bow, which is just from an energy, um, efficiency standpoint is less efficient than a compound anyway, just by design. And then you're peeling, you know, 15, 20, maybe even 30 pounds of draw weight off. And then to think about taking that into the woods and then you're shooting a heavier arrow to boot. So then you went from 300 feet per second down to, you know, 175, 180, maybe shooting a smoker, you're shooting 190 feet per second. It's more than, you know, it's like you can see the confidence evaporating out of the new, you know, the, the compound guy, the new stick bow guy. Um, and what I found was I was like, I felt a little bit undergunned going into the elk woods because the, you know, psychology would be you're, you got a bigger animal, need to shoot more draw weight, right? Bigger right. body, all this. I need more penetration. But what I found um, on that hunt, just from holding that bow at full draw, had I been shooting a 55 pound bow instead of a 50, I wouldn't have been able to hold that thing for as long as I did. And so by dropping five pounds of draw weight, what that did for me was it allowed me to hold that bow for, it was close to 20 seconds at full draw. Um, it allowed me to draw while that bull was further away. And I had a greater chance of drawing my bow without um, being, you know, uh, detected. And, uh, and that's, you know, if you're calling elk, a lot of times they're coming in frontal or a lot of times they're coming in and they're looking and, uh, you have to wait for them to put their head behind a tree or something. And then at that point, once they come out, you may not have a good, uh, window for a shot and you may have to hold that bow at full draw for a period of time where like most guys that shoot a stick bow, when they draw back, they're holding for, you know, maybe two or three seconds, the guys that right. snap shoot. And, uh, so to be able to have, you know, if either the upper body strength or the, the draw weight that you're allowed, you're able to hold for, you know, multiple seconds at a time, um, is a huge benefit. And even at 50 pounds at my draw length, about 27 and a half inches, um, I was shooting a 565 grain arrow, no problem with penetration on any of the elk that I've shot. Um, you know, and I hit one bull, um, I think it was two years ago in the shoulder blade, um, you know, and I did get sufficient penetration to get that bull, but it definitely, you know, obviously slowed my arrow way down, but, um, you know, aside from hitting that shoulder blade, I'm getting, you know, two feet of penetration with 50 pounds on a, on a stick bow. Um, yeah. 
uh, the one thing that I will touch on on that, like for someone that's thinking like, Oh, I would enjoy that. When I made that switch, I think I ordered a bow from you in 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hunted with it and had some encounters. And the first one that I first bull that I killed with it, that bull came out at 40 yards. Hands down, if I would have had a compound, would have shot the bull. He was broadside. He bugled like the bull would have been dead. Then he came in and it was like 25 yards, but he had a, a bad angle. Probably could you for that stick bow. I could have killed it with a compound. It was kind mm-hmm. of quartering two and I've shot that shot and at 25 that bull came to seven yards and I shot him frontal and the whole entire arrow disappeared in him at seven yards. But I never would have got that experience at seven yards. If I would have had a compound in my hand, right. I would have, you know, smoked him at 40. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that there's a lot of things that, you know, you got to, you got to kill the first opportunity you can, but when you can't kill it at that, like there's more that you never know what could, could happen. And the case in point, with that bull that you shot probably could have killed him as soon as he poked his head over the top. Exactly. But then to have that unfold to five Mm -hmm. feet, it's, yeah, I, you know, it's just, it's really cool. I, I, uh, I do miss hunting with my stick bow. I've been looking at it and staring. I got to pick that thing back up. Cause it, it, to me, the other side of it, I enjoy shooting my bow and I I wouldn't say it's a chore, but I, I like, have to make a like i need to go shoot yeah and when i have a stick bow in my hand and i'm shooting a lot it's like i just want to shoot my bow I, yeah. I i i have to like i the the desire of the whole archery side just totally reignites for me um and i i absolutely love it um and i almost last year made the call on it but then i was like 21 years of waiting i'm gonna Stick with the compound. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause I've missed, I've missed a, I missed a Roosevelt bowl that was once not, I, maybe it's a once in a lifetime opportunity with my stick bow that I'm like, I could have killed with a compound, but I'll mm-hmm. for always have that memory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, I, I think that, um, y- you know, making that transition from shooting a compound to shooting a stick bow, um, there was times when I did, when I made that transition, when I first was hunting with my stick bow, it was like, Oh dude, I could have shot that with my compound all day long, you know? And it's a similar experience. I think from guys that are rifle hunters that switch to shooting a bow and it's like, Oh man, I could have shot that, that uh, buck or that bull with my rifle, you know, a hundred times over. And uh, you know, and then they never get into range with their compound so it's just kind of like another um, another iteration of that. Well, and I think too, it's just everything's amplified. The woodsmanship, the senses, the everything else. Like it just, it it definitely makes you a better hunter and trying to to get as close as possible. Um, when you have that, that's you know, twenty five yards is my max range, or what you know, whatever you're mm-hmm. comfortable with, stick bow. Like it 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 makes you a little bit sharper. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel pretty confident, you know, when I've been um, shooting, you know, regularly out to 35, 35 yards is my point on. So uh-huh. at yep. that distance, I'm pretty deadly. You know, that at that point, the point on is when you draw back and you, you use the point of your arrow, you're able to put it right on 
your target and then use that as basically like a sight pin, you know, a single yep. pin sight pin. And, and so at 35 yards, um, you know, certainly with an elk, I mean, elk is a giant kill zone on it. Then uh, yep. no, no problem there. Do you shoot instinctive? Full instinctive. So when I'm yeah. shooting like sub 20 yards, then I'm shooting pretty much instinctive because that point of my arrow is so far below what I'm trying to hit that it doesn't really do me much good for reference. I mean, it'll, it'll help from a left, right standpoint, but from a um, distance there, it's almost um, useless. And then as you get out to 20 or beyond there, then that gap between the point of your arrow and the target becomes a little bit more relatable. And so from like, you know, 20 yards roughly on out, then I'm gap shooting, gotcha. um, you know, and, and I'll actually, um, and I didn't, um, it's kind of funny how like, you know, your mentality will change and how you'll have like this preconceived idea or this notion that, um, you know, oh, I'm doing it this way. And if you're doing it that way, it's not right. And I've always kind of thought of myself as being pretty open-minded and non-judgmental. And, but I always thought it's like, dude, shooting a stick bow, why are you, you know, why would somebody carry a rangefinder? And, uh, it's like, this is, you know, it completely. And then I did and wow, what a difference in, in, uh, that has made for me from, you know, from an accuracy standpoint on, um, you know, with a stick bow, you got a pretty looping trajectory. And so those distances, it's like, you know, probably be like somebody carrying a compound and trying to shoot at stuff beyond 60 yards without a range finder and just judging right. distance as, you know, as far as from a trajectory standpoint, because obviously as you get further out the compound, well, with any bow, then yeah. uh, your, your arrows dropping a lot faster, you know, and so range becomes critical. And, and uh, so with using a, um, a range finder, you know, I still don't obviously have a sight pin to, to gauge off of, but I know if I range something at 37 yards, all I got to do is hold my point a little bit high, you know, of where I want to hit and then yep. right in there. And, yeah. you know, and, I, and it wouldn't be difficult for me to misjudge by five yards. And then I'm, you know, shooting at the hoof or sailing one over their back. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I'm now since you have a rangefinder, have you ever range found an animal at like at the time of the shot, or has it always been used for information to apply to the shot? Um, like pre, like, pre, like okay, yeah, that tree's twenty seven yards. This is that bush. Yeah, is this. yep. No, I, yeah. I have. Um, I missed a, a mule deer. Um, you know, I, and it wasn't for lack of uh, distance um, estimation it was just, I shot to the right and, uh, it was right about my point on. And, uh, you know, I felt like I cut a good shot and, and in hindsight, I was shooting on a really steep side hill. And I think I just had over canted my bow. And, uh, uh so then it, you know, caused me to shoot further to the right. Yeah. But, gotcha. Yeah. A lot of times, I mean, it's a distance I'm shooting stuff. I don't really need, you know, need it, but there are times when, um, you know, when I've gotten shot opportunities and, uh, yeah, actually, um, now I'm thinking about it a couple of years ago, I shot at a mule deer in his bed, at, um, at 40 and, uh, and, um, you know, hit him right there in his bed. And, uh, then, um, yeah, so that, that one worked out really well, just yeah. well beyond my point on. That's so cool. Um, so 
for people following along, what, like, how do they, if, if they have an interest in, in stick bows, reach out to you, follow you on Instagram, like what, like how, how, how can people find you? And then what's your, I, I would say in a, in a closing thought, like the challenge of someone of the, that has an interest, but maybe you're scared of failing. Like what, what would you say to them? Sure. So, um, I'll tackle your first questions first there. Um, so yes, stalker stick bows on Instagram. You can reach out to me there south at stalker stick bows, um, by email. And then, uh, my phone, I've got a website, obviously stalker stick bows. My phone number's on there. People can call me up or whatever, and I'm happy to answer questions and help people get pointed in the right direction. I would say if somebody is like, Hey, I want to try this. I'm not ready to commit and put my compound down. Um, I want to see if this kind of like this is even something that is in my orbit of abilities or something that's realistic, you know, pick up a a cheap, um, you know, Chinese recurve you can get for a couple hundred bucks and then, uh, you know, try shooting that out or find a secondhand one that you can borrow from a buddy or pick up, you know, used or something. It'll give you a basis of like, this is okay. I'm comfortable with this, or I don't like the grip or, you know, this is, but it'll give you a starting point and find something that's light, like 35 to 40 pounds at your draw length so that you can work on your shooting form and you're not struggling to hold it back because trust me, 50 pounds on a stick bow doesn't sound like a lot. If you're shooting, you know, 70 pounds on a compound, but it is a world of difference. Um, and, and I get guys that, that, uh, order bows from me all the time that are shooting compounds that I build them a bow. And then they call me back several weeks later and say, Hey, can you reduce the weight on this? You know, and then they got to shift the bow back to me and I shave some weight off the limbs. Um, but if you can pick up something or borrow a bow from somebody that's got a lighter set of limbs there, that's a good way to kind of, um, to get started and, and shoot, get, get started right where you're not struggling. Cause if you're struggling to hold it back, it's not going to be very fun and you're yeah. not going to shoot it very accurately. And you're not going to be able to shoot it for very many times per day before you just wear yourself out. Um, so that, you know, kind of, you know, as a, a little bit of a suggestion there for somebody who's wanting to kind of get their feet wet or, you know, put their toe in the puddle there and see what it's like. Um, and then I'm sorry, what was the, the last question there? Just, yeah. I mean, if, if someone's just like scared to take the leap, like what's that encouraging word, you know, like what, what lasting yeah. deal that you could tell them like, so, okay. So I'll relate a little story here. So, um, I shot a compound for probably 25 years and dabbled in traditional archery along the way. Uh, and I had a couple of custom, you know, recurves that I played with, but uh, I was primarily a compound hunter up until 2007 when I bought stalker stick bows from a, from a buddy of mine that had started it. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me. I've been a lifelong woodworker, very passionate about woodworking, probably as passionate about woodworking as I am about bow hunting. But I was scared stiff about putting my compound down. 
I thought I'd be a tofu eater, you know, and I uh, <laughs> never eat red meat again, you know, and uh, I, you know, I knew enough to know I'd killed things with my stick bow, you know, prior to buying stalker stick bows, but just trying to wrap my mind around being successful, you know, when I had been, you know, I, I, I was never a long range bomb shooter with my compound, but if it was, you know, 60 yards or under, it was, you know, good chance it was getting my tag on it. And, you know, a stick bow, you're just kind of getting warmed up in the stock, you know, at 60 yards. And so I was really concerned about, um, you know, about whether I'd be successful or not. And um, up until a few, just, I think two years ago, um, I had killed at least one mule deer every year with my stick bow since I set my compound down. And, uh, that, um, I never, never could have dreamed that I would have that kind of a run of, um, of success with a stick bow when I was looking at putting my compound down. But a lot of it is just like, uh, making that mental shift. You know, if you ever have hunted with a rifle before and then picked up a bow, then you kind of, kind of relate to that mental shift that you would have to make when you're transitioning from shooting a rifle to a compound and it's somewhat similar with the stick bow and and i you know i i absolutely loved shooting my stick bow and got out there and practiced a lot so i had a really good idea of how proficient um you know i needed to be or how proficient i was at what range and so i just you know i would study and at that point you know, I had banked a good amount of experience hunting mule deer with my compound. So I had like a a solid foundation of what it was going to take for me with a stick bow to get within bow range and how, you know, I would approach a stock. And so I could look at the, you know, I could look at a buck and I could look at possible stocking routes, even, you know, being new to shooting a stick bow and know okay, I, that I need to let that buck go and wait until he, you know, maybe either gets up in bed somewhere in a different position to, for a stock, or, um, I may have to wait till tomorrow, you know, and hope right. that he beds in a, di- in a better position. Cause there's sometimes that even with a compound, you can't get on a deer or an elk or whatever. And, and, uh, and then there's other times like, you know, that story that we related earlier in the podcast there about when it was like, it's go time now. Cause right. it's like the stars are all aligned. No, I, I love it. I, um, South, I cannot wait to be back in the woods with you. Um, and I'm hoping that we can make that happen next year. Well, Wyoming yeah. draw, yeah. draws God's, Indeed. Uh, uh, cast cast a, a light on us so i've got to buy my my bonus pike dude i don't know last year somehow brain farted totally and didn't buy my my point last year so i'll buy it this year and i'm you know well into double digits for points now so we should have a good unit to hunt next year yep yeah i just bought my points actually uh monday i think of this week so right on yeah we're we're good to go so um well, I appreciate your time, South. I, I cherish our friendship and yeah, to, to talk and catch up. And I, I definitely um, want to do this again and yeah. uh, chat some more. Bring, yeah, bring the listeners along. I, I always enjoy your storytelling and, and everything else. Right on. That's the same, man. I'm looking forward to getting back out there in the field with you. You know, it's been too many years since that mule deer hunt. And 
Yeah, I had a great time and, and I appreciate all that you've done for me as far as like uh, you introduced me to Wes Smith there. And, and I actually had one of my most memorable hunts that I ever have had in my life with him. Um, yeah. you know, it was pretty neat to be able to share that with him. And I had a great mule deer hunt that kind of was down to the bottom of the ninth and, and, uh, we managed to be able to pull it off and, you know, get it all on video. And it was a pretty, pretty special experience. So, um, no doubt. Yeah. Looking forward to making more of those memories in the future. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And, um, yeah, I, like I said, I appreciate you. So right on. Thanks Cody. Yep.